0: having you here um <clears throat> yay revelation yes. okay. uh, before church somebody was asking me so how long do you think this series will take well that's a good question some of its predictions might happen before we're done i'm just saying it's, it's quite possible um i've actually been looking forward to this series for about i think I think I remember telling Megan about six months ago that we were probably going to do it after we did the the letters of Peter. And um, it's been great, right? 2 Peter chapter 3 has been a great introduction to the book of Revelation, talking about the return of Jesus for five weeks straight. So uh, the title for week one of Letters from Heaven, which is the name of our series, which I think is a great description of Revelation, it's sort of like... Uh, a lot of people have a kind of a warped view of Revelation. We're going to take a more kinder, gentler look at Revelation. I think the way it was intended to be written. This week, though, we've entitled it Intro to the Apocalypse. Sounds <laughs> ominous, doesn't it? <clears throat> so, historically, Revelation has been not only the most intriguing, book in the bible but also in many respects it's the most intimidating. <clears throat> Yet somehow even though it's talked about a lot in many ways I believe it's also the most neglected book in scripture especially by individual believers. My experience as a pastor and I I know this is anecdotal so it's not like I did a survey or anything but my experience as a pastor is that most Christians are barely familiar with the book of Revelation, especially not as familiar as they are with many other books in the Bible. Most have probably, for example, read Genesis, the letters of Paul, the book of Acts, far more often than they have actually read Revelation. As a result, I feel like what most people think they know about Revelation they have relied upon what others have told them about it. Many have been taught that Revelation is about codes and riddles and clues and puzzles, sort of like a, like a Christian version of Nostradamus. <laughs> I suspect that most Christians probably consult Google about what Revelation means more than just reading it for ourselves or in community. As a result, there's perhaps more innocent, and I think it's innocent, there's innocent misunderstanding of Revelation more than any other book in the Bible. Many Greek Christians can't seem to resist the urge, (coughs) excuse me, to collate the images in Revelation right alongside with current events and world news headlines. As a matter of fact, each generation of the church has tried to do this, tried to infuse their contemporary experience and their contemporary news and world events into the pages of Revelation. People have inserted everything from presidents to popes to governments to wars to pandemics and famines into Revelation. People try to interpret the images in Revelation literally, Others approach it like it were some great big Sudoku puzzle. Did I say that right? Sudoku? (laughs) Some use it, unfortunately, as inspiration for doomsday preparation, a manual for surviving this inevitable global future economic catastrophe. Many have used revelation to elevate themselves, claiming special prophetic insights to unlock its hidden secrets. Revelation has been unrightfully used to divide and splinter the church of Jesus based upon erroneous end time interpretations, which so far, all of which have been wrong. (laughs) None of these was the purpose or the intention of John when he wrote Revelation. So, what is the purpose of this book? Well, it's very simple in the beginning. To reveal Jesus to us in ways we have never seen him before. I mean, shouldn't that be more compelling than all the other stuff that people try to say Revelation is about? It's a handbook to know more about Jesus than you could ever have learned from any other book in the Bible. Wouldn't that be motivation enough to read it? So we're going to start this week in Revelation chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And next week we'll probably do a little bit of double back. But I just wanted to start with these first five verses. Revelation chapter 1 <clears throat> verses 1 through 5 are you ready the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants let me read that again the revelation of jesus One who reads aloud. Let me read that again. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I got to tell you, I think when I look all throughout scripture, this is probably the best introduction verses of all of them. <laughs> all right, so let's break down this first passage. Really what I'm going to do is break down all of the book of Revelation pretty much in this historical application today, which is this. The church needed hope. I'm talking about the first century church. We'll later learn that the Apostle John wrote this at a very advanced age, in his 90s, in a prison on an isolated island called Patmos. When he wrote this in about 90 AD, the persecution of the church by Rome had really begun to escalate. Nero is now off the scene, and other Roman emperors have taken it and doubled it and tripled it. The sad thing is, and the scary thing is, this persecution was just getting started and would continue for another 350 years. Things would get far worse, to give you perspective, The church was persecuted in a bloody, brutal fashion far longer than the United States has been a country. The church is barely 60 years old at this moment in 90 AD. The universal church was under heavy attack from Satan, who obviously clearly wants to wipe it out. It was brutal. It was bloody. It was, in fact, an actual scary time to believe in Jesus. American Christians let's just be real, we can't even comprehend what real persecution is. We like to think we can, and we think we're persecuted, and maybe we are to some degree, but nothing like the readers of Revelation in the first century. See, at this point, Jesus knows his church desperately needed some assurance His church desperately needed some comfort and some encouragement directly from heaven as they tried to live faithfully, doing the work of royal priests, proclamation, integrity, and industry as they waited for Jesus to return. Revelation was supposed to be a comfort that would inspire them to wait patiently, faithfully for that day. Revelation wasn't written to the early church to predict coming suffering. It was actually an explanation of suffering they were already experiencing. Do you hear this? When you read the stories about suffering in the church and martyrdom and all those things, John wasn't saying, be careful, it's going to get bad. It was already bad. What Revelation was doing is explaining why it's bad. Revelation for them in the first century was read as if it were literally letters from heaven, revealing details of how God has worked, how God is working, and how God will work. Let me say that again. It was read like letters from heaven detailing how God has been working, how he is working, and how he will work. The purpose of Revelation... This revelation of Jesus was not to confuse the early church, to scare them, or to give them codes they may not be able to decipher. The book of Revelation was written to comfort them. And what John does is he weaves both Old Testament and New Testament references to Jesus' return with details and imagery that inspire hope, not fear or obsession over prophecy. It was written in imagery using images, specific things that weren't mysterious to first century believers. In fact, every one of the images in Revelation would have meant something very obvious and specific to those readers of that day. So as we study it, it's a huge mistake to take all these beautiful, sometimes scary, and graphic images and try somehow, through somersaults and gyrations, to apply them to modern-day correlations. For example, we will study later a very familiar example of this. Many have tried to use this idea of the mark of the beast to spot Antichrist. I'll just give you some examples of how you can't take that and apply it today. You've heard just in the last couple of years, people were certain, certain things that were happening during the pandemic were the mark of the beast. 666, you ever heard of that number? You know what it really is? It is Nero's name spelled in Roman numerals, which totals 666. That's all it is. It's not credit cards. It's not computer chips under your skin. It's the name of Nero. There's another one. Some of you that are older might remember this in the 80s. Remember this guy, Gorbachev? Remember that birthmark? I was in Baptist churches and some Presbyterian churches and other churches. All of them were convinced that was the mark of the beast. He was Antichrist. I'm not, some of you might remember this, right? Oh, he's got to be. Look at that. All over his head. It's got to be him. He's dead. It wasn't. (laughs) I'm just saying. Again, the mark of the beast isn't computer chips, vaccines, birthmarks, modern world leaders. It was simply the rule of Nero. Any other interpretation is an example. I just used that example of the mark of the beast so you get an understanding as we go forward. Any other interpretation of the mark of the beast is an example of how not to read Revelation and why historical context will be so critical as we go forward. Revelation provided new details about Jesus to instruct, comfort, and inspire the church how to live with an evil world. Basically, here it is. Church, you may see an evil Rome trying to destroy you, but it won't. Rome or any other empire will fail. Jesus will prevail. All right, so that's the historical part. Let's look at the spiritual part of this. I've called it the unveiling. So I'm going to start doing something with my Greek words. A couple weeks ago, somebody asked me, why don't you put like the English letters up there so we can read it? Well, because I'm trying to show off. That's why. <laughs> Even though I mispronounce it every week, I'm still trying to show off. Apocalypsis. This is the word revelation in Greek. We get our English apocalypse. You see that? It means literally a revelation or unveiling. This is the actual name John gave his book. So what are your first thoughts when you hear the word apocalypse? I feel like the word apocalypse has been branded with an unfortunate connotative meaning that is associated with anxiety and fear and global disaster. Apocalypse isn't a nuclear war. It's not a one-world government. It's not being overrun with zombies, <laughs> although I like that show. <laughs> apocalypse means a revealing, a pulling back of a curtain. This word apocalypse <clears throat> excuse me, actually appears 18 times in the New Testament. It is never associated, never, with a disaster, with a war, with a catastrophe. Ever. It's always about the revelation of truth. The name of the book, Apocalypse, Revelation, intentionally declares itself part of a specific literary genre in the scripture called apocalyptic literature. I'll give you more on that later. But the unveiling, the revelation, the unveiling to John delivered to him through an angel is about Jesus and the spiritual realm around us. It shows us how the world as we see it isn't often as it may appear. That Jesus is not absent when his people are suffering from the evil in this world. It is a revealing, an apocalypse, a revelation beyond our human perspective, sort of like You know, as humans, we look up into heaven trying to understand spiritual truth. This is why the book of Revelation is such a gift. It is a perspective looking down from heaven to earth, revealing what it looks like where God is. And as we work our way through this study over the next 11 years, (laughs) maybe not that long, (coughs) we will learn that this apocalypse... This revealing falls into three specific categories. Everything falls into three specific categories. I think you're going to love this. The first one is, it's an unveiling of Jesus. Jesus reveals insights about himself and the things he taught while on earth that you will not find anywhere else in Scripture. We'll uncover beautiful, and I'm excited about this, we're going to uncover beautiful, fresh, heavenly insights Jesus revealed to John about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Mark 13. It's almost like, by the way, John, you remember that Sermon on, Mark, on the Mount in Mark 13? Here's some more. Here's a look at my notes. Sometimes you guys ask me for my notes after a sermon, right? <laughs> Basically, Jesus was emailing John his notes, <clears throat> Some of you might remember, we actually spent three really fun weeks studying the Sermon on the Mount. There were three messages. It was number 61 in the Gospel of Mark, the Mark the Evangelist series. Number 61 called Hope on a Hillside. Number 62 was called Hope from Tribulation. And Sermon number 63 was called Hope Now. Much of the revelation that has to do with Jesus is tied directly to that passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And so for you to get the full benefit of this series, I would recommend you go back and watch those three sermons or listen to them on the podcast. It's as if Jesus said, let me review all the things I taught you during those three years from a heavenly perspective. Let me show you how the sermon sausage was made, if you will. (laughs) The next category that all this unveiling falls into is the unveiling of the prophets. Jesus also gave John a heavenly perspective on past Old Testament prophecies, how they were fulfilled, revealing how God has worked. And what Revelation does, and it's beautiful, Revelation takes several obscure, confusing Old Testament prophecies in their own perspective as they're written and what John does through Jesus is he lays these confusing old prophecies bare, fully revealing their entire truth and their entire meaning. Now, interestingly, there are no direct quotes from the Old Testament scriptures, but there are, get this, 200 And 75 references to Old Testament prophetic symbols and images and colloquial phrases that people reading would recognize, oh, that's from Isaiah, oh, that's from Daniel, oh, that's from Hosea, or that's from Malachi. It's amazing, 275 references. References that will point us back directly to these prophecies and removing, I just love this, removing any obscurity in their original Old Testament settings. We'll discover how Revelation explains the many beautiful, this is important, how to read Revelation. It reveals the many beautiful cyclical concepts in Old Testament prophecy. How each time these prophetic cycles appear, the pattern becomes clearer and more intense. It's kind of like when you hear a train coming from a long way away and you think it's a whistle. Oh, yeah, it's a whistle. Yeah, that's a whistle. Oh, it's a brown train. Oh, it's a train carrying coal. Oh, it's a train carrying coal made by whatever company. And then you see it go by. Each time the cycle happens, the prophecy becomes clearer. That's what Revelation does. Then there's a third category where the unveiling will fall into. And this is beautiful. It unveils how God works. Wouldn't that be good to know? Revelation reveals the details and patterns in these cycles of prophecy of how God has worked throughout Scripture to do what? Preserve his chosen from evil. From Adam and Eve to Noah to Lot's family in Sodom and Israel and the church versus earthly empires, all of those are in the apocalypse, the Revelation unveiling how God calls out His chosen from darkness into light like He did for you that day. He called you to salvation. How God refines them, His elect, His beloved. How He redeems them. How He removes them from the path of darkness and encroaching evil. And then how He clears a new path To redeploy his people once again in a new home, a new land, both physically and spiritually. This is the cycle of what God does for his people all throughout Scripture. And then finally, it will reveal the final act of this calling, this refining, this redeeming, and this redeploying how it began at the cross and ends with the return of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? He reveals warnings about sinful patterns that the church might fall into. The same ones we struggle with today, yes, even at Grace Life. That's why it's so timely for us to read and study Revelation together and read it aloud, as the Scripture says, as a church, especially as we transition to our new location at 1801. There's a lot of things we have to learn before then. Not just what, carpet color and paint color, but also how are we to operate as a church and be true to who we are as royal priests. All right, personal application, how to read Revelation. So this is my sermon preview this week. Revelation isn't about deciphering the latest world news headlines. It's letters from heaven revealing Jesus. What are your hopes for this series? I mean, if you're here today and you knew I was preaching on Revelation, you've probably got some expectations that you've put on me. Thanks. (laughs) Do you hope to have all your questions answered about biblical prophecy? I mean, maybe you hope that when we're done, you'll have all the knowledge you could ever want about Revelation more than any of your friends. So, at parties... You can be the center of attention as you proclaim all the secrets and Revelation. Everybody wants to know, right? Is that your expectation? Well, I would like to take the next 10 minutes to lower that quite a bit to just hoping you stay awake each week. How's that? And if we exceed that, great. You know, Christians have always wanted to know what God's plans are for the end of the world. That's natural, right, as a follower of Jesus waiting for his return. So, of course, we turn to Revelation, hoping to find those kinds of answers there. And our interpretation is often clouded by opinions we hold about the state of this current, fallen, imperfect world. Interpretations that are driven by our political opinions, What kind of government leader would be best? Or what type of economic system would be best? Sometimes our interpretation of Revelation is driven by our cultural opinion on things like social injustice, equality, freedom, sanctity of life, sexuality, the list is long. And our passions for these issues often influence how we read apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation. The problem is our passions for these opinions Even, let's just say, for the sake of argument, we have all the right ones. They still create a flawed approach to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the apocalypse, needs to be read differently than any other book in the New Testament. We must change how we think about Revelation. Apocalyptic... Revelation literature feels differently. It sounds different and it acts different than the epistles, than the gospels, than the Acts of the Apostles, than Genesis, than any other book in the Bible. It's just different. It must be read differently. Reading it literally, like Acts or the Epistles, would be like and I tried to come up with a, a great example that would make you laugh, but I just the only thing I could come up with is it'd be like reading poetry. As if it were a newspaper. That's good, right? (laughs) Church, we can't read the book of Revelation from an American perspective either. We can't read it as Americans. Hunting for references or clues to what role the U.S. might play in the end of the world. This is the wrong way to read Revelation. I got, uh, just to give you a little bit of a preview America is not in the book of Revelation, period, <laughs> not. You know who else isn't in the book of Revelation? Russia, nor is China. Revelation is about, isn't about spotting the antichrist or clues to preparation for a future global natural economic catastrophe, it's just not. Its purpose was completely different. If you are reading Revelation, To understand today's current global events, you're not reading it the right way. If you're reading it to win political arguments, you're not reading it the right way. If you're reading it as a puzzle that you can try to put the pieces together to predict the future, you're not reading it the right way. If you're reading it and you start to find it very confusing, that's a good clue that you're not reading it the right way. Well, how can you say that? It is confusing. Not if you read it with its intended purpose. And what is the intended purpose? Blessed is the one who reads aloud. I just love that he puts that in there. That means reading community. We've been hitting that pretty hard, haven't we, for a few months about reading Scripture in community? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it the time is near when we begin to approach revelation with the proper understanding of its purpose that removes the fear and the confusion and the intimidation it's an unveiling of Jesus providing for us something that is designed to inspire us in how we should live as we wait for his return it is a message of hope as urgently and vitally needed today as it was in the first century. And that is this, no matter what happens on earth, when it comes to God's people, Jesus is in control. No plans by men or demons can ever derail the work of Jesus. He has always and will always prevail over evil. He is currently prevailing over evil. And as the cycles that we learn about, the seven cycles in Revelation teach us, we will see he will prevail in the end. It is an inevitable end. It reveals, prag I love this part, Revelation will reveal to us pragmatic, practical tools to identify and respond to our ongoing battle with the forces of darkness that are all around us. Some of them are prevalent in your life today. Some of them are prevalent in your relationships. Some of them are prevalent in your relationships with one another in this room. We have to be aware of that and know how to deal with it. It's a revelation of how Jesus has, is, and will deal with evil. How God has worked, is working, and will work. It's letters from heaven with beautiful imagery Yes, parables and illustrations and metaphors that will comfort us in this fallen world. It's why John says, blessed are those who read aloud. He doesn't say blessed, he doesn't say confused are those who read it. He doesn't say scared of those who read it. He doesn't say obsessed with today's headlines are those who read it. He says blessed are those who read it. My suggestion for you as we start this Read Revelation for yourself without Google telling you what it means. Just read it all the way through, not to learn about the future, but for this motivation, just to learn more about your Jesus. As you do that, and as we read it together aloud each week, we will begin to see as a church family, Christ revealed in ways we've never seen before. I mean, shouldn't every follower of Jesus want to know more about Jesus? Shouldn't that interest you? That's revelation. It will inspire us with courage to let go of our ridiculous, never-ending obsession with this life and all of its brokenness and its struggles and its disappointment and its pain. It will raise the hope and anticipation in our hearts for that day that we meet our Jesus face-to-face. And that's my prayer for our church in this series. That should be our prayer, that reading Revelation aloud together will cause our obsession with this world to decrease and inspire our devotion to Jesus to increase. Heavenly Dad, we're excited about reading your apocalypse. We're excited to learn more about our Jesus who has called us, is redeeming us, is removing us from evil, and has a plan to redeploy us in a new home. Lord, give us wisdom to spot the patterns of how you have worked, how you are working, and how you will work. Lord, give us wisdom the ability to see the pragmatic examples of how we can best respond to the spiritual realm of evil that is around us. Lord, help us to dismiss all our preconceived notions about what this beautiful, incredible, inspirational, positive book is. Help us learn new things about you that we never would have learned from any other book in the Bible. And Lord, we don't know when you're returning. (laughs) Hopefully we get through this series. (laughs) But if not, we pray that you would use revelation to make us better royal priests dedicated to proclamation, integrity, and industry. May our obsession with this world decrease and our devotion to you increase. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week with week two. Greetings from Patmos. Thank you.